The following production is part of the Play Some Video Games Podcast Network. Welcome to Board with Video Games, the gaming podcast that strives for the right balance of coverage for games you play on your table and on your television. You can think of us as the Red Pandas and Blackheart Bunnies of gaming podcasts. We're a proud member of the PSVG Podcast Network and thrilled to be part of the Dice Tower Network as well. I am one of your hosts, Kyle, and joining me on this co-op adventure, the guy who would never leave a faction out of an intro just because he was struggling to come up with a group of three. Josh, how are you doing this evening? I'm good. <clears throat> That's your job, right? We already ran out of uh, uh, three people groups that were. Well, I couldn't, I, <laughs> I couldn't think of a really great one, and I wanted to make sure that I connected the group of three to our guests this evening. And while the Red Pandas and Blackheart Bunnies are interesting factions themselves, it is the Fearless Boxing Kingdom whose job it is to keep the Guardians in check. Filling the third chair for us this week is designer of such games as Skulk Hollow, Herbaceous. Sunset Over Water, and the upcoming Mall Peak, and the founder of Pencil First Games, Ed Baroff. Welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. I raised my <laughs> hand, but for no reason. Uh, and just, just to clarify quick, um, many of those games, I'm a developer with a lead designer who's on it. So for example, with Skull Hollow, that would be Keith Mateka, who, who drove the design there. So uh, we'll get them as we hit them, but just as a clarification. I appreciate the clarification because one of the questions we'll probably talk about when we get to the full interview is Josh and I both really into video games, both really into board games, but it's very confusing in the board game world to understand like who a designer is, who a developer is, who are the, like, there's like seven publishers for every game. It gets very sure. confusing. It is, so. it is. And uh, <laughs> the method in which I make board games is more like how one might make a video game where effectively I'm the product lead. Which okay. means I like bleed into all the different things, but in the context of like a designer in the board gaming space and that kind of definition, I definitely want to highlight people like Keith and Steve. Um, but my background originally was video games, so I sort of have a mixture there. Very cool. So, you know, since we're already kind of doing it, uh, why don't you to give a brief introduction, if you would, to our audience about who you are, what you do? Sure. Um, I've had the good fortune in life to have spent my entire career either making video games or working on emergent technologies. But uh, about five years ago, I started Pencil First Games, which is a board game. I, we, we actually, I did have two uh, digital releases, but now is predominantly a board game uh, making studio, I guess you'd call it. And um, in addition to Pencil First Games, I've also have a Gaming with Edo YouTube channel where I do a bunch of game reviews as well as sort of industry league of game maker type content very very cool well we're going to do a little bit of housekeeping and talk about some of the stuff we're going to be playing and then we're going to do a nice deep dive into all the things ed has done uh because he has done a lot of things so <laughs> as always thanks so much for joining us this week everyone as always if you have any feedback questions suggested topics hit us up at board with fiji on twitter or check out all the things posted over on the instagram also board with fiji we are a proud part of play some video games and psvg is on patreon we are absolutely thrilled with the support you have given us there thus far, and if you'd like to monetarily support what we do, you can find us there at patreon.com slash psvg. 
But the most important thing is just that you listen and maybe share our show with someone else who you think would enjoy it. We're also a member of the Dice Tower Podcast Network, so if you enjoy our conversations about board games and would like to dive deeper into that world, we encourage you to check out the Dice Tower Podcast as well as all the other members of the network. No matter what type of board games you enjoy, there's a podcast on the network that's right for you. So over the housekeeping, Ed, as our guest, you know, we're going to go ahead and talk about some games we've been playing. We'd love for you to kick it off. What have been some of the games you've been playing on your tabletop? You know, it's it's funny. I was actually prepared. I figured you'd ask a question like this. And downstairs where like I normally sit, if you, if you see my content <laughs> with my board games behind me, I have a stack of them. And, you know, because of the whole everyone's at home stuck inside always yeah. thing that's going on, <laughs> I came up to my bedroom because, like, we just have a downstairs, like, open one open room between kitchen and dining room. Uh, so give me a second. So uh, I've, uh, I've been catching up on a bunch of review content that I hadn't gotten to. So it's been a combination of Kickstarter. So let me, let me just give me a second because I literally, let me just visualize it in my head. Okay. So... One game was Ramen Fury, which is like a, a fast play set collection game like Sushi Go, you get a target. I got as a gift, and I just did a review of that. Um, then uh, Atlas Games has a game called Bring a Knife, uh, which is like a deduction party game. Uh, I also played Donner Dinner Party, which is like more board gamey, but also targety, but also like super high production value. Uh, which was interesting, but I can't play those. I mean, I got those in before everyone was like shut out. <laughs> um, what else? Uh, there's a couple. Oh, uh, Sorcerer City was a big game that I I, I played a bunch. And uh, there's like uh, we played an exit, one of the new exit room, sunken treasure city, whatever it was. Um, so I guess I'd say like a bunch of odds and ends. I've just been like pulling everything out of the corners because we don't have any of our game nights anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, what was the name of this other book, Kickstarter one? It was like Riot at the Round Table. It, it's sort of like, imagine a trick-taking game, but like where you're attacking, like you pick, you're like, we're going to do this trick-taking thing against you, player X. And then everyone's trying to like play suits and trumps on that player, and they have to defend, hmm. which is interesting. Take on trick-taking. It's a bunch of random eclectic assortment of games awesome so of all those you listed which i will say i'm very jealous about how many games you get to play (laughs) um pick two of those that are your favorite that you'd recommend to our listeners and what did you like about them okay well uh if you so sorcerer city is excellent uh scott caputo he also recently uh, is the designer for the 100 tori which pencil first games released um so just as a note but like it is essentially like, what if a tile-laying game was a deck builder? Like, if you're doing a tile-laying deck building game, and then you're like, and then make it like super big and heavy and push it as heavy as you could make a deck building tile game into that like hour category, hour plus. So uh, it's impressive. It's like a deep, full, meaty game of tiling and building uh, with re- fantastic art and execution by James Hudson and um, uh, whatever is companies called skybound games but then also like um i'm forgetting the name of this company true uh, city anyway, games yeah um and they, they uh so, so highly rec if you're like into tile building engine building or tile laying engine building sorcerer cities really excellent uh from that list um and i would say between the two party games dawn or dinner party actually like i i sort of impressed me more than bring a knife so i'd say dawn or dinner party there and I actually, I really did like Ramen Fury for like a play it with your game, your kid, kids type of game. Very cool. Josh, what have you been playing, sir? Well, 
also with that no one can go outside party uh, and my wife not being <laughs> into gaming at the moment for whatever reason, um, because I am essential staff against my will, I <laughs> played Magic the Gathering at work uh, out of all the places uh, you can imagine. Um only played two games, but I'll be honest, I, I haven't played Magic in... 20 years <laughs> so uh when i was getting to choose my decks he had, he had them all pre-sorted and i said which ones have the older cards give me the deck with the older cards in it <laughs> because i have no clue what like the what the fa- past 25 expansions even entail and i still ended up with a planeswalker which i had played pre-planeswalker so that's all new to me uh, you know, I brought a bunch of board games with me. I brought um, Dice Throne and Sentry Golem and Keyforge and Thanos Rising. I was like, "Can we pl- let's play one of these?" Like, I I know these. <laughs> uh, I got destroyed in my first game. I played um, just a straight up um, black deck. He he made a vampire deck, so it was a vampire deck. I got destroyed, and then the second game I had a, a good run. And destroyed him. <laughs> it, it didn't seem fair on either side. Um, and the Planeswalker I had lets you bring out um, all graveyard creatures and put them into play in front of you. So uh, by the time I was able to get that Planeswalker out, I just declared instant victory, I guess. They seem a little overpowered. So um, that's you know, just... It, it's- it's funny you're mentioning uh, Magic the Gathering. I, I had, you know, at, at the office about six months ago, we did a bunch of drafts of new sets, and I, 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 I ran with the group for about three months playing, and it had been probably 20, 10, 20, whatever years. Um, and I, I suspect when you're playing it again, it brings back all of these Magic the Gathering sort of frustrations and emotions that you forgot existed. Like, oh, like, I'm just sort of... Yeah, mana tapped, and like I'm just yeah. gonna sit here and hope for a land. Excuse me, I don't know if the language. So I apologize. Uh, I'll take care of it. Don't worry. Okay. Um, just wait for a land, and like I remember this feeling, and like, and then you're like, oh, if I'd only done that, I remember this feeling. Yeah. Um, when you when you're picking it back up. It's a game. Yeah, it's a game. I only played two games, and it was still a game of ups and downs. Either too met too many lands, or not enough lands, just in two games. So it definitely has that. Um, it brings back a lot of memories for sure. And I, you know, I just remember for me, what it brought back was I remember having every possible deck combination, like sets, you know, so I had all solid lands. I had all the mixes you could do, but that was back in the day when that there weren't two colored lands like they have now mm-hmm. and lands with abilities. It was very cut and dry. So all this stuff that. I had in my hand or I was playing against, I had to, I feel like when I was, when we first started Keyforge and I would have to look at my buddy's cards every time he put a card down and he'd do the same to me. Like, what right. is, wait, what does that card do? I have to see that. So he's putting cards down and I have to keep grabbing them off the table and reading them to see what I'm up against. It was a long first game and I kind of just let it slide in the second game, figured if this is something I'm going to get back into, I'll, I have to do some extra research, not in the middle of a game to yeah, take away from that. I have to think of it like a seasonal thing. Now they basically have really turned it into the seasonal play where they're like this, this three, this quarter, it's like this type of weird combination. And here's like the thing about blue and red and green. And like, 
everyone sort of plays it's a little bit more video gamey in terms of that kind of content release um than than what you're used to but yeah no i agree can you yeah. like i'm gonna read every card on the table <laughs> and the text just gets smaller and smaller i know <laughs> you can't tell if there's an ability or if it's flavor text because that's how much of the card is filled in on every card yeah. <laughs> there's you there's always a space before the flavor text yeah, <laughs> yeah <laughs> just, no, that's, that's how you know there's a space there's always a space yeah when you uh sent me the pictures of you playing magic i was like wow m15 it's over we're going back a little bit that's not too bad um but yeah and i used to play a ton of magic that was like the game that got me into board games is I played a lot of Magic the Gathering, but I haven't played in years now. Uh, but yeah, although I dabble still, but I haven't played seriously. Did and... you see the uh, Antique Roadshow viral link that's been going around? I have uh, not. Oh yeah, it's on post on most Facebook, but basically some lady, I don't know, it's sort of like I didn't pay no, enough attention, but maybe her husband died, I'm not sure, or maybe he's just not added to it, but she's like, here's my, my husband's binder of cards and like the guy right. there doing the antique roadshow and it's got the power nine on, on the first page nice. and like she, he, he's like how much do you think this is worth and she's like i don't know a couple thousand bucks and he's like i would say this collection's worth quarter million dollars <laughs> yeah <he's> like what <laughs> yeah yeah uh oh power nine if only uh, uh yeah that's the thing or the i I would say the bad thing, I guess, is kind of like the same thing that happened with baseball cards, where everyone was like, oh, if you just save all of them, they'll be really valuable because when people didn't save them, those cards got valuable. And now, but there are still some really expensive magic cards, even from recent sets, just due to how Wizards does business, which isn't bad. It just, yeah, I remember that's kind of the reason I got out is I was like, okay, if I want to make a competitive deck, you know, I'm dropping a thousand dollars for a deck. And I just I couldn't handle yeah, that that's anymore. Why sort of drafts are fun and just ways where yeah. you're like, I'm going to pay twenty bucks. I'm going to play for six hours and then yeah, sell drafts them back are to great. The store for ten bucks and walk away or whatever. <laughs> right? Yeah, EDH cube, all of that is a good time just because it's kind of a one time investment that you just have a good time and can do it over and over again. So it's great. Um, Josh, any other board games you want to talk about? No, unfortunately, that's it. Hopefully, I I I, I hope to have a lot more to talk about. In the, in the coming weeks. We'll see how it goes. Awesome. <laughs> um, I'm going to talk about then, very briefly, I finally got to the table, a game that I had totally written off because I didn't think it was going to be all that good, and I couldn't imagine that it was going to be all that amazing. Uh, and that is I played Funkoverse strategy game Harry Potter edition. Hmm. Uh, as, as dear listeners know, I'm a big fan of Harry Potter. The partner's a big fan of Harry Potter. Uh, and we got this game mostly because it was on sale big time, and I said, okay, you know, another Harry Potter game. We can see how this one goes. Uh, some of them have been hit, some of them have been misses, but we'll give this one a shot. And I will say, I was very surprised by this game, because it was not at all what I expected it to be. Uh, if you're not familiar, the game comes with, you know, either four or two Funko Pops that are miniature Funko Pops. Uh, depending on which set you get, you can play both the four-person, or the four-player, um, and the two Funko set independently or together. You can mix them if you want to. But really, this is a miniature skirmish game. That is 100% what it is and not at all what I expected it to be. Uh, because as you're going through, you have different objective-based games that you play. They each come with multiple scenarios that you can play through. The boards are multiple-sided. But then it very much is just a skirmish. You're looking at line of sight. You're looking at how can you attack the other player. You have different abilities and different spells that you're casting as you go through. Players can get knocked down. They can get removed from the game. It very, very much is a skirmish game. Um, and when they get removed and as you're using abilities, they go on this cooldown track that, that you know, every 
At the end of each round, everything gets moved off or moved down a step on the cooldown track to either come back into play or whatever it might be. I was really surprised by this game. I didn't think it was going to be as thoughtful and complex as it is. It's not hard, uh, but there's a lot of decisions to make while you're playing the game. And when you have the, when you're playing one person versus one person and you have all three of the Funkos on each side, there's some pretty strategic decision-making to happen in this game. And I was really surprised. Uh, Prospero Hall, they keep surprising me with their games. I, I don't know why I'm always thinking that something's not going to be great. And then it just it turns out to be really good. So uh, this has been on sale a lot lately. It is mixable with all of the other Funkoverse strategy games. So if you want to have Harry Potter going against a raptor from Jurassic Park, and then one of the Golden Girls, you totally can do that if you want to. Uh, so... I don't, I don't know if I'm going to get other sets, maybe the Jurassic Park one, because I'm a huge Jurassic Park fan, uh, but I was really impressed. I did not think I was going to like the Funkoverse strategy game as much as I did, uh, but I enjoyed it, and the partner, who's usually not into this style of game, liked it as well. Ed, have you played any of these? Yeah, can I offer a counter opinion on that one? <laughs> you totally can! So it just so happens that one of the games I would have remembered had I looked at the stack on the table downstairs was in fact the Harry Potter Funkoverse game. And so everything you said is true. What I would say is like, <laughs> I felt like it was a total miss in terms of complexity to market desire. Like I had the same played with my wife and she plays games too. But like I, I, we started playing and I'm reading through the rules and I'm like, oh, this is like a full-fledged skirmish game. Not even a little. Like, right. like, like full-fledged, multiple mechanics, like head-to-head -head competitive, but not in any way that's like anything but line of sight and moving around and spell just like, and, and so we played it and it, it worked. I mean, it's sort of like gloriously too complex in my opinion, like not, not too complex I can see that. to the marketplace, but like, it was just, you know, it, it, it wasn't like, I could see it being fun if you were like, we're going to grind this out and have a really head-to-head -head, like skirmish. And I could see, like, oh, they did a really, they've clearly thought really well and hard about how to make skirmish games better. But it was sort of like, I don't know, 20% too serious and probably wanted to be 20% more lightweight and fun for me. Um, and so it's like, it's like one of those things where it's like, it's not a criticism, but like, if I was to like pick it up and like be like, oh, I'm going to buy this for somebody who's into Funko Pops or this, these IPs, it's, it comes with a little warning. Like, it's to the right of villainous. Like, villainous is walking complex but they do all these things to try to simplify it and try to give you your deck and your rules and it's so thematically on that like it sort of overcomes it but it's still walking in that direction and i felt like this one was just on the other side of that further um so like again like the way they do ability cooldowns where you use an ability and rather than the cost it's on the track that like the one you just that's like i always since i'm not like a huge played every skirmish game ever like sometimes i'll be like i've never seen that before and then somebody will be like dude that's in like 17 other games but like when i played it i thought it was super fresh and i'm like i'm gonna use this somewhere but um to like dive in and then like play the ones with all the different like working on the different conditions and having your own little other units it's like you know it was it's it's real it's like a real chunky game and so so i just felt like as a as a game, it was excellent. As a product, it missed what I was expecting, given the packaging and the audience. Um, but no criticism to the design. It, it, it just didn't land for us. I would agree with everything you said 100%. I think that is absolutely true. And I think that's probably why 
I came away pleasantly surprised by my play experience as I thought it was going to be much more simplistic than it ended up being. So for me, my expectations were exceeded as a as a gamer. Right, right. But I would agree. Like if you walk into Target and see this, or you walk into Barnes and Noble and see this on the shelf, I, I think what the packaging like, like you said, what it looks like is not the the experience you have while playing it. Definitely true. So. Well, I got a great test person that lives with me that we bought. Oh, we also bought this at Target on clearance. So, uh, I'll probably land somewhere in between the both of you with when she plays it. <laughs> if we can get a whole game played, it will be good. <laughs> yeah, because I mean, there was a lot of questions like with with the partner of like, okay, is this you know, is this technically line of sight? Can I move here? Is can I go center to center here? Okay, now you're off by one square. So now does that mean, oh, I do have line of sight here, but I still can't move there? There was a lot more of that than I anticipated oh, yeah, for and, sure. Yeah, and little so. things like, is my turn really standing up? Yep, your turn is standing up. It's standing up. Yes, <laughs> exactly. That is both your actions. Congratulations, <laughs> you are now standing up. Um, and I will say the the game did get pretty out of hand pretty quickly. the The beginning of the game was very even uh but then once i got a little bit of a foothold going um it became very much more challenging for her to come back just because uh you know i could kind of dictate where i wanted things to go on the board i could anticipate when because part of the thing you do is you interact with these elements on the board and then they go on the cooldown track well i know when they're coming off and if i take your characters out i can position myself to be in the right place to get the points when those come back on the board and then she's you know starting to start over from her starting space and yeah so it was a, it was a fun game. It was a really cool game, but yeah, definitely not the expectation that you have when you look at the box. For yeah, sure. and there's um I can't remember. It's by Ankama Games. Like it's the Dofus one. I don't remember the name of the scrimmage, but they they made like a basic kid friendly one that's like really accessible. That I think is a a, a quicker to pick up skirmish game. Um, but anyway, hmm. nice. awesome. All right, so we're going to move on then. We're going to talk. Uh, I did play Orleans for the first time, but I only played it once, so I don't want to talk about it too much in depth. I just want to say, uh, depending on how the next few games go, I might have a new top five, probably top ten favorite game. Wow. Uh, and that's all I'm going to say about it right now. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, so have you played Orleans? Uh, I, I actually haven't, but I'm cert- I certainly see it all the time. Yeah, so, and I hadn't either, and it's one of those things that we picked up just recently because it was on sale at a local um, game store, and we've been looking at it for a long time and just played the first game, just finished right before we started recording, and uh, so I don't want to, that's why I don't want to talk about it right now, it might be a little hot, recency bias, but it was great, so we'll hear more about that one in the future. Uh, with that, we're going to transition a little bit to video games. I know that, obviously, Ed, you have worked in the video game industry. Do you play a lot of video games? Do I play a lot of video games? I mean, yes and no. Certainly not as many as um, I used to. Uh, and I would say most of my time is consumed more with mobile games since that's what I, I do professionally. So I try to like have a pretty good grasp of what that market's looking like. And, and unfortunately, a lot of it's like, okay, I'm going to play this game for two hours and I'm going to play this game for two hours and I'm going to play this game for two hours. Um, the sort of game that's taken over the house you know, in the last three days has been Animal Crossing on all devices all the time. (laughs) Um, So a whole lot of Animal Crossing. Um, You know, I play a lot on the Switch. I'm trying to think. The last, like, console game I think I played was, like, Darksiders 3 on Xbox, which would have been, like, six months ago, nine months ago. I thought it was thoroughly too hard. Like... (laughs) Like, after playing the the other two, which were, like, it was as much about just enjoying the content as it was playing, 
I just got like uppercut in the face like seven times, like right out the gate. And I was just like, I just want to, I just want to play. Um, but uh, no, a mixture of stuff, but a lot more mobile, some digital board games, things like that. Gotcha. Do you have any uh, mobile games you would recommend? Because mobile's a little bit of a blind spot. We talk about it on occasion, uh, but like I am, you know, I subscribe to Apple Arcade, but I don't talk about the games a ton. Uh, do you have mobile games you'd recommend or mobile games you really enjoy? Oh, man. Um, there's a whole lot, actually. Like, if you're looking for a, um, like, fun one-minute, five-minute diversion game, uh, have either of you ever heard of or played Archero? No. No. <laughs> of course. Uh, so, I, I mean, it, 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 it does very well, but basically, so I don't have my, I, for, like, whatever reason, I left my phone downstairs, so um, I would, like, open it up. But I like Archero, free download. They're going to try to get you to spend some money. But basically, uh, you are a archer and uh waves of enemies are coming and if you stand still you shoot and then you run so it's sort of like single room kill all the enemies but uh every every level you buy you get like an upgrade and it's like a really great example of really well executed twitch gameplay with leveling curves that feel like like really solid progression ramp as you play so you like be pretty into it so it's a really good um sort of use of time um and generally, like, so, like, I, um, I think in terms of, I, I don't want to go too deep because, like, I'm playing a bunch of games and, like, the competitive products to, like, the products I make. So I don't want to, but in terms of a fun, quick game, I can, I can say our chair is a cool one. It's been out for a while. It's got a lot of clones, but, but otherwise, it's, it's good. Awesome. Josh, what have you been playing, sir? Well, I'm downloading our chair right now. <clears throat> so I'll give that a shot. Uh, to, I guess now that we're talking mobile, to get, stay on mobile real quick. Um, Disney just released a game called Sorcerer's Arena, which is a reskin of the Marvel Strike Force game I play on my phone. Um, so I, I figured I would give it a shot. Actually, I really enjoy it. Uh, basically, card-based. Well, you, cards as your avatar, uh, summoning Disney famous Disney characters, uh, RPG-style battles. Um, it's pretty cool. Uh, each character has starting two abilities. I think you can get up to three. You have supers. You can uh, recruit new um, uh, abilities and, and add them to your lineup. Uh, the goal is really just to create the strongest team. But you have uh, you also unlock villains and a villain campaign that you can play through, which is very similar. The Marvel one has the villains campaign as well. Um, very similar as far as how everything goes. So if you played Marvel Strike Force and enjoy it. Uh, these are games that I am able to not sink money into. However, if you're like having this for kids, like the first thing you see is like, hey, buy the $70 Mulan pack. And it's right there, front and center. And they keep, if you're like me, you have to click any little red notification on any tab. They keep popping those things up. New bundle to buy, new bundle. So I have to keep clicking it just to, you know satisfy my ocd um <laughs> but uh yeah notification they want my money <laughs> they, they want do. that money back well you got to play it for free right yes yes uh mortal kombat 11 i don't remember if we talked about this kyle but uh they have since released spawn so uh someone who i've been waiting for for six years now since they started rumoring him to be in a Mortal Kombat game. Next is Ash. That's the next big rumor that we'll finally get Bruce Campbell. Um, I just I really enjoyed how they developed that character. They must have worked really close with Todd McFarlane to get 
everything down. They got Keith David as the voice of Spawn, who comes right out of the HBO um, cartoon series. Uh, they just they nailed everything uh, with this character. So it's been a, a joy to revisit Mortal Kombat 11. Um, it's been pretty fun. Uh, our house is not immune to the Animal Crossing pandemic. Uh, we have it here as well. Um, I got it because my wife wanted to play, so we each got a copy. And uh, this is my first Animal Crossing experience, at least on a console. I did try Pocket Camp way back when. Um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm addicted to it already. Uh, I couldn't tell you why the game is good. Uh, I, it, I don't it, even it, know. It, it, it's it's minutiae. It's the, the world's cute and the world minutiae. For people yeah. who are stuck inside, I mean, at least you can go around like an island around your house. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. I couldn't, I couldn't even necessarily tell you if the game is good uh, officially, but I'm enjoying the time I'm spending with it. Uh, what I do like about it is that there is something new every day, uh, essentially, when you log in, which is nice. You don't see that in video games uh, very often. Um, so I am enjoying that, and you know, my wife said she wanted to play together but i'm also enjoying beating her in progress so i like i'll show her my switch while she's like three days behind me look what you're gonna get <laughs> she's like oh i got a bridge i'm like i got a bridge like a week ago honey so <laughs> you gotta catch up <laughs> well, I, there's a really interesting game theory called mda mecha mechanics dynamics and aesthetics um, by Marco Blanc and Angelica and a number of other folks. Uh, and it, um, I've, I've spoken about it in the past, but one of the things they talk about is, uh, I think it's the nine, seven kinds, eight, eight kinds of fun. And one kind of fun that's listed there is, is, is called submission, but it's the mm. idea of like a crossword puzzle or something where you're just sort of like, it's the act of doing that's just sort of satiating your, your, your brain. It's not yeah. actually, and it's a type of fun that's sort of hard to put your finger on. Um, so Animal Crossing is really effective there, but also, um, I mean, the thing that Animal Crossing stands out amongst other things is what you described, that idea, and from the original, like, the, the amount of content and content that's driven by time of day, day of week, day of month, seasonal, yeah. <laughs> holiday, and how laced into everything it is, and how, like, it's just the kind of thing when you're like nintendo you're like we're just gonna make this game and we're just gonna stuff it and we're gonna stuff it more until you just it's so stuffed you can't even believe it was possible <laughs> um so they, they they do that well yeah i mean i watched i watched a youtube video six hours ago about creating a tarantula island and it's all i've been thinking about <laughs> until i go climb into bed and just fly to some island and just destroy its life all over it to try to catch bugs uh it's kind of crazy uh and lastly i took advantage of the free-to-play weekend on xbox and i downloaded ghost recon breakpoint a game that has been just critically destroyed uh by everyone in the gaming industry uh and even by their own uh studio uh themselves and uh you know i'll say this the game it's rough it is in rough shape. Um, however, I did enjoy the time I spent with it today. I feel bad for the people who dropped like $160 on like the Ultimate Edition just to get, you know, the day one content, the season pass, all that. Uh, but it's, I think it's still 20 bucks right now. And honestly, uh, if I'm going to be needing some games to play, 
I might just drop 20 bucks on it. It's not, it's not so bad that I didn't enjoy it. It, it, there's just some like glaring issues, um, from like character textures to, um, glitchiness in the, in the UI. Uh, there's definitely some issues, but that can be worked out. Like those are, those are fixable if they, if they're going to support the game. (laughs) I don't know if they're going to. Right, but hasn't the game been out for like six months? <clears throat> the game has been out for a bit, yeah, since November, I think it came out. Uh, but you never know; <laughs> they can support it still. <laughs> um, I'm not. I'm not going to go and say that I recommend anyone to get this, but I'm definitely going to say for twenty bucks, I'm. I'm definitely considering um, still supporting Ubisoft, and I pretty much mm-hmm. have had every Ubisoft game uh, that has come out except for this one. So I think I might just have to do it. Um, and then I saw your game that you played, and I completely spaced that it came out, and now I'm mad at oh. myself that I didn't spend my time doing that. Gotcha. Anything else, Josh, you want to talk about? That's it. All right. Well, I will briefly wrap up my portion. Uh, I did play, uh, you know, 2019 Board with Video Games, Video Game of the Year Control had their first big DLC come out. Uh, the Foundation with their first big single-player DLC. Uh, they had some other stuff they did earlier that was, you know, the whole wave of enemies, hold that off type stuff. And I will say it is, it's good. It's not as good as the, the game. Uh, they unfortunately went away from some of the things that made Control so cool. And one of the things that, you know, I loved about Control, and I think, Josh, you loved about Control, was just the aesthetic of being in the oldest house. And that architecture that they had and how you would walk into spaces and, you know, you had the big text come up on the screen when you went to new places. And, like, the big text thing still happens. But the entire time of this DLC, the entire time, you're in caves. Caves underneath the oldest house. Hmm. And it's just kind of not that exciting of a place to be compared to where the main game was. Um, You get some new abilities in the game. They're not all that exciting, you're, you don't really, there's no changes really to your service weapon at all. That's all pretty much the same. I enjoyed it. I still had fun. The The combat in there is still great. They, there's some cool things that happen, but just in the sense of, you know, is this an exact return to form of what Control was? No, it's not. Uh, but it's still good. I had fun playing it. I finished it. It's about five hours of content, I would say, for all of the missions and stuff. And there's more stuff you could do after that. Uh, they do have one side mission in there that I won't talk about too much, but they definitely try to recreate and recapture the essence of the ashtray maze, yeah. but in a different way. And it's good, but definitely doesn't quite get to that level. Okay. Um, so I think worth playing for sure. If you have control and are looking for more control, definitely worth a play. Uh, just don't expect it, I don't think, to be quite as good as your experience with the base game. Um, from my time with it. And like I said, I finished everything. I could go back and try to clean up trophies since I do have the platinum, but I'm, I don't know that I'm going to. It's just kind of annoying now because my trophy percentage sits at 90% now. Uh, <laughs> even though I have the platinum, but that's fine. I'll get over it. Um, so that's the big thing I've been playing uh, in addition to other stuff that I've just, you know, that's the usual things. Uh, but I also do want to very briefly talk about, since we were talking about some uh, mobile games, I've been playing Round Guard on Apple Arcade. This is actually, I think, on at least Switch and PlayStation, maybe Xbox as well. Uh, Round Guard, easiest way to explain it, if you took Peggle and kind of crossed it with a roguelite dungeon crawler. And that's what it is. Hmm. So like you are peggling or between modes? <laughs> while you're peggling. Thank you for asking that question. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so you launch your little person and you can you have three different classes you could choose from and they have special abilities and you can get uh, different weapons for them and different armor for them. 
and they're while you are peggling them, there are there are enemies on the map that you're trying to hit while you peggle, and you can like use your special abilities to sometimes be able to sl- uh, go through multiple of them, be able to you know redirect yourself mid uh, peggle mid while you're falling. Um, so there, there's some cool things there, and they do some interesting things with your health pool. You have mana for your special abilities. Um, and then after you finish the level, you have, you know, two or three different little buckets at the bottom that you can go into, and those will take you different directions on a map to get all the way to the end, uh, to try to defeat the boss. Uh, and then whenever you die, it's like, Hey, here's how much gold you made. Uh, so this is kind of what your ranking is based on the amount of gold. Do you want to do another run? And you just do it all over again. So it's really fun. I've had a lot of good time with it. I did enjoy Peggle. Uh, and, and I think this is kind of a nice little spin on that formula and really increases the replayability of it quite a bit. Uh, Say the the three different characters, round guard. I looked at images, Kyle. How did they not get sued by Microsoft? What do you mean? <laughs> it's uh, identical to Peggle. <laughs> well, EA. E- Peggle's EA, isn't it? Oh, is it EA? I thought it was Microsoft. Yeah, yeah Peggle's but EA. But either way, I mean, you, you, you can't trademark gameplay, right? <laughs> That's true. Right. You're right. So, but it's a fun game. It's a good little time. So if you're looking for something to pass the time, uh, like I said, definitely on mobile. Um, it's in, on Apple Arcade if you subscribe to that. And I believe it is on console and Switch and maybe PC. I guess I don't know. But uh, it's a good time. I'm having fun with it. It's definitely something I'm doing kind of at the end of the night to kind of wind things down. So I recommend it. It's fun. All right. So with that, that's all the games we've been talking about taking care of or all the games we've been playing taking care of. With that, we're going to kind of move on. We're going to have an interview here and learn all about Ed and all the things he did. Uh, so we're really excited to have you here. We're going to go ahead. On your website, Ed, it, it talks about, you know, you have kind of two big parts. You have the making games part and the reviewing games part. Sure. Um, but we're going to start with the making part. Number one, on your website, did you help make all of those games? Because there's a lot of games on your website. Yeah, I mean, uh, it, it so it depends on what my job was at any given time. So I think the further down you go, the lower I was on the, the ladder of rung. So I actually started um, video games in QA. So when you go down to uh, the Atari stuff, um, most of those games, I was a tester or assistant lead tester or lead tester, depending on the game, uh, in, in that category. Uh, from mind control software and a beyond, um, I was either a producer or product lead or designer or whatever. But yeah, every one of these games, one degree or another. At Disney, some of those games, I was more, I was a studio director at Disney. So in some regards, I oversaw them and the teams that were working on them. Um, but I, I feel comfortable to say that I touched them in one degree or another um, over the years. Certainly everything. Uh, pencil first games also more closely but yeah i've had the good fortune i'm i might not look it but i'm not the youngest guy and i've had the opportunity of living <laughs> twice those years in, in 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 games uh so like you know you you work enough hours you get a lot done uh so i've had a, a good opportunity to make a ton of products ton of games very cool so can you just tell us a little bit like how did you get into the gaming industry how did you decide you wanted to work in games kind of what was that journey like for you sure uh i uh i mean i played a lot of games right uh, I was a big gamer uh, in the 80s and 90s, and I was going to the University of Michigan, and you know, I thought like they must have a game-making group there, and the only thing they had was a um, Dr. Mario Club, actually, of all things, <laughs> uh, competitive Dr. Mario playing. And uh, actually, so at the University of Michigan, I, I uh, started an organization called Wolverine Soft for the 
development, research, and making of games, or whatever we called it. And uh, a, a source of pride is that that organization is still on campus today making wow. games. Um, and so made a bunch of indie products in college that were like on the PC, uh, and then tried to make it on my own. Started that comp- a company called TheorySoft. We started a Game Boy Advance game with no sort of publisher or any support whatsoever. And I learned how not to start a business. Uh, and then uh, when, when ended up going into um, QA at, a, uh, at Atari. Worked on a ton of games at, on QA at Atari, which was uh, GT Interactive rena- renamed themselves Atari after they got acquired. Uh, and then moved up again, got hired at Mind Control Software as an assistant or associate producer. And I sat down. The first thing uh, Andrew was like at the time was he said, hey, so uh, what we need you to do is make a bunch of uh, multiplayer maps for Field Commander on PSP. Well, we're going back in time, guys. Um, and I was like, what do you mean? I, you hired me as a producer. This is design work. He's like, yeah, whatever. And we need this work done. And at the time, I was like, I think I just became a video game designer. Um, and so, you know, there's a lot of bleeding, but, you know, just making games and moving up the ladder. So, uh, again, a lot of work. Uh, and then um, eventually uh, I worked at Bufang Games, and when it sort of um, closed down, we had a bunch of online games, Facebook games, that like basically disappear, right? Like the, 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 the tragedy of video games is that the work you do is ephemeral, right? Like essentially you rapidly have these games that, especially nowadays, that at some point are just can't be ever played by anyone anywhere. Uh, I mean, unless you have some amazing community that like builds it on their own, right. um, but even games that you're like, oh, I'm going to hold on to that disc. It's like that console's not going to work anymore. You can't run Windows 95 anywhere. Right? <laughs> and so I, I had this really strong feeling of um, wanting to make something that, you know, would still be around. And that is sort of what led me to make Liftoff, um, Get Me Off This Planet, which was the first game, board game that Pencil First Games did. Um, I had worked on Murder of Crows as a designer with a friend for Atlas Games, but um, the first Pencil First Game game is Liftoff. And it was for that, like, I just want to make something. And for a while, for two years, it was just a physical prototype of the one we made. And maybe we had two of them. But it still, I could be on the shelf and I could show it to my kids like, or whatever. Um, and then with Kickstarter and other things, I got to make a bunch of board games. So do you mean these these UMDs aren't going to last the test oh, of time? Oh, that one right there? <laughs> I have a whole stack right next to me. Actually, you know, the PSP was ahead of its time, man. The, uh, I, at some point, we were going through the garage or something. I got two kids. Um, what are they now? 10 and 12 or... Yeah, 10 and 12. And um, I don't know. Like we pulled out the PSP, maybe this was a year ago, and yeah, there it goes. And like they're like, oh, they got these movies and they're playing the games. Yeah. And like, you know, you got to switch right there. That was one of the most heartbreaking. So we did. So Sony Online Entertainment made Field Commander, but they like contracted Mind Control, and we did a bunch of the UI and the um, level and all of the level designs and stories. They were basically like, we. I don't remember what happened, but they were like, we basically don't have half the team we need for this game. Can you guys contract to do it? Whatever it was, and we did. But then we actually, the first game I was the producer of, All In, was Field Commander 2, and we worked really hard. We got the sort of, essentially, they like gave us the ability All In to make the sequel, and we were doing all this cool stuff. And it was like, I don't remember if it was, I think we were like coming on the beta milestone and they were like, yeah, so we're going to approve this beta milestone and we'll pay you and we'll pay the next thing, but actually we need to kill the project. And it was like devastating. And I remember Mark LeBlanc, who I've known for a long time, he was sort of like, 
this couldn't be better. We like did our work. We got paid and we got extra money. And I, I, it was like <laughs> one of the most boiling pits of rage I've ever, I've ever felt like, like, and he was just 20, not, I don't, he's not 20 years older than me, but like, he was just like 10 years <laughs> deeper into the, the, the video game industry and had 10 other cancellations or whatever. But like, <sighs> But basically, um, they were like, yeah, you don't understand. We might owe you guys an extra $500,000, but we'd have to spend $5 million in marketing. And the PSP mar- you know, is dead. So it, 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 we will never make back the money that we'd make on printing and marketing the fa- you know, fantastic or otherwise games you've made. So it was, it was a really good lesson for me around like, and I've come to appreciate it, that like, in many ways, making the game is the easy part. Um, like then it's it's what are the politics of the business what are the financials what is the marketplace what is the competition in the marketplace how's the platform doing there are all these other dynamics at play that could take an otherwise awesome game i mean like and 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 um you know make it so it it, it doesn't work out for one reason or another and you know it's a hit-driven business but there's also just all these other factors involved so um anyway that was that was one of the more those are one of my earlier lessons in, in, in the industry, for lack of a better term. But the PSP was Josh. Cool. Yeah, um, Josh, I just need to know really quick. Is your battery pack exploded or no? Yeah, actually, I had to get a new one. I opened it up and it was like yeah, t- like twice the thickness. I was like, oh, no, I know. this is not going to turn on. <laughs> yeah, both my PSPs. In, yeah. yeah, both oh. my PSPs are that way. <laughs> Very sad. Very sad about that. Uh, so, obviously, working in video games this whole time, were you playing board games though? This whole, while you were working in video games, or where did the you know passion and desire outside of just I want to make a physical thing that's still going to be here? You know, where did the the turn or the passion for board games come from? It's actually a good question. So, you know, uh, as a kid, I, I loved board games, but we're talking like Scrabble, Monopoly, Risk, you know, those types of games, mm-hmm. um, and even uh, up into college it was still like we'd have we'd be playing risk or in magic right that was like very you know mass market board games plus um plus magic and then it was actually mind control software where uh you know we were there and they were like hey you want to play this game and and that's when i started playing games like Catan, small world which is just like a better version of risk um and and a number of other those titles which really opened up my eyes to like board gaming as a whole but what's interesting is during that time board gaming to me was just playing board games with your friends that you bought from a local store i had no idea what bgg was i had no idea about facebook communities like i just played board games and you bought them and like why would you go online they're not digital like and (laughs) it wasn't until so i had made liftoff i had pitched it to a bunch of publishers, almost got it, what I thought was almost got it signed and I didn't. And then it wasn't until whatever it was two years later that um, I was doing the Kickstarter. And as I got into the Kickstarter space, everyone's like, well, if you're going to run a uh, run a Kickstarter, you got to like read this stuff by Jamie Stegmeier and you got to like um, get into the scene and check out all these BGGs and how you're going to find the people to back it. And that was like a crash course into like modern online social board you know that this whole other what's well, what's bgg like who uses this site that looks like it was made 10 years ago 20 years ago like like what? it's better now it's better now <laughs> but like hey, this is like a nerd forum right like, like and and um but then you get into it and you understand it and you engage with it but like it really that i didn't enter that scene really until 2015 or whatever whenever pencil first games in the kickstarter i think it's 2015 yeah 
So that was so super interesting. <laughs> very cool. But I love games, right? So, like I love making games and playing games. So like I'm very gamer. No, I think that definitely is evident. I'll be honest, like when I started doing research and I try to do as much research as I can before we have guests on and all this stuff, I kept going down a deeper and deeper well of like, oh man, he does this too. And he does this <laughs> sure. thing too. And he does this thing too. Wow. Okay. Um, so if any of my questions are totally off base and I misunderstood something, please let me know. Because like I said, I've always found the world of board game design and publishing and all that stuff a little, uh, it's a little confusing to people from the outside because you just see a box with a bunch of names and you're like, I don't know exactly what role everyone had on all of this stuff. Um, but, you know, I'm going to ask one more question and then I'll let Josh take over because otherwise I just keep going forever. Um, you did have some success, you know, co-designing prior to doing Pencil First, right? With uh, Murder of Crows, yes? Yeah. Uh, you know, this all, a lot of this circles back to that. I mean, it's interesting how it all comes together with Mind Control Software, which was a small indie game developer in Marin, California. Um, but one of the guys there at the time, the art director, was Thomas Denmark. And Thomas Denmark, I mean, other than being a video game art director... He also had created a game called Dungeoneer with Atlas Games, and it was an old tabletop um, sort of Dungeons and Dragons in a card box before anyone was doing it, and it was reasonably popular. And at the time, while I was working there, uh, he was working on Murder of Crows, uh, and he like had an idea of it, and but like it, you know, he was sort of like a, a, a cooler Uno, and and like you know, we we were playing around. Um, um, like one of the things I'm probably known for with people who've worked with me is like I'm really good at like getting things done and like making things happen, so to speak, which is part of the litany. But um, but anyway, with 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 Thomas, he basically said, "Hey, can you help me out with this?" And so we started working. He had already sort of had the relationship with Atlas, and like they were like looking for his next game. So it wasn't it didn't have the hardship of like trying to get your game published because he had. I was sort of like co-author to the bigger author in that regard but like um we worked on it and um i mean that one i was very heavily as a designer and trying to make the a lot of the inner the little the workings of that game come together and he did design and all of the art and um yeah that was that one was a lot of fun it's one of those interesting things too i think i'm gonna look at the dates uh, murder of crows we like i basically you know when you make things you learn that people work in different ways and at different speeds and like you have different dependencies and so like we had finished the game and it probably and i'm not like trying to throw him under the bus but it probably was like two or three years later that he actually finished the art like it was like done huh. and it was like just working i don't remember the exact timeline so like i was i wasn't i was at disney which is like two jobs removed when that game actually finally came out. <laughs> um, uh, but I think, I think it was like, you know, it took like from, from the, when we started it to when it were released, it's like five, six, seven years or something crazy. Um, but, and it's a really small card game with like 52 cards, but they're gorgeously illustrated. He did a great job on it. Um, but yeah, so that, that was the first, first time I made a, a physical product. So how do you then get from, okay, I helped design this one game this one time with someone else to, I'm just going to, Found my own board game company and published my own games. Well, you know it. it so none of it. It's it, it, it. A lot of it's just step by step, right? Um, so uh, what happened was I was working at a company called Blue Fan Games. They're best known for the Zoo Tycoon series with Microsoft. I I didn't work on Zoo Tycoon, um, but I worked on a number of their mobile and online titles. So I made Lion Pride, um, Zoo Kingdom. Carmen San Diego, Oregon Trail, these were the Facebook versions of them. And then at some point, HMH went out of business and went bankrupt and, and stiffed us a whole bunch of money. Um, and so we, uh, 
we ultimately as an organization uh, had an ABC, which is like sort of like bankruptcy, but it's called like an a betterment for better assessment for betterment of creditors or something where it's like, we're going to go bankrupt, but we're not going to involve a judge. We're just going to like talk to all the people, figure it all out. We'll deal it all out. And, and but so during that period, I, I worked really hard, great, great group of, of, of developers sort of had that uh, feeling epiphany or whatever about like, Hey, I, you know, we just did all this work and like some server is going to turn off and it's going to just be gone. Um, at the time, I was playing a lot of Small World, like always, but uh, Ticket to Ride, and sort of was like, well, let's just make a board game. And I started doing doodling ideas and coming up with it. And it was sort of like we were in the, like, most of the company had been laid off, and, like, a couple of us were, like, still, like, cleaning up. And, and, and But so, like, it was, I was just doing it, like, sitting around, like, with people and talking to people at the office and just sort of, like, figuring it out and playtesting and prototyping. And so I was making a pen and paper game, and I'd done a lot of pen and paper design. So, like, nothing was scary to me about designing a game, right? Like, there's no – I'd already made many games in my career as video games, so there was no hurdle on, like, oh, like, put some paper, put some design down, get some cards, cut it up. Um, and so um, I, I, I made it, and then we made this really, really nice prototype of the game – uh, and this is like one of those four, like the girl who was the artist also like had a jigsaw and like one day was like, Hey, what if I like made these meeples and they had these alien meeples in that game. And she just like came in and be like, I could hand paint each one. And it was like, well, maybe we can speed it up a little bit, but like, it's a good idea. And uh, queen, I think it was queen games. Uh, a publisher was interested, sent it to them. It was like a six month process. And then they were thinking about it. And it wasn't like, basically it took them a year and a half to essentially say, Hey, we did our final vote and like we're a unanimous publisher and you got like four or five and we're not going to publish it. And then I was like, can I get it back? And they're like, sure. And then it still took like another six months to get it back. And so I finally, I got it back. And at that time I had, I didn't start pencil first games at that time. I just had was, uh, I think I had done Disney. Um, and I guess, Oh, Disney was coming to a like uh, Disney goes through these phases and they were like first they want to do internal development and then external and then internal and external and they they were like going through a series of layoffs so I had this another work gap between when I like in the video game industries it's just it's just lots of companies contracting and growing and contracting and growing so a lot of people in the game industry have had lots of stints so like between stints yeah. um, I you know was sitting on my hands for lack of a better term right figured looking for a job and doing something. And we were, we had like game nights and we we're playing board games and stuff. And I don't know if it was Emily or my wife. I, I don't remember, but somebody was like, you should bring that. Why don't you bring liftoff with you? We can play it at the game night. And I was like, all right, uh, you know, I'm not really like, let's play the, my game. Uh, and I brought it and um, Aldo who worked at impression, I don't know. I mean, you guys may or may not be on the, so impressions is a consolidator that does a lot of indie publishing they were acquired by flat river they are like phd and impressions are like the two of them and um aldo was like local and in one of those game groups and he's like why aren't you putting this on kickstarter and i'm like kickstarter he's like yeah there's a site they get a bunch of board games doing it blah 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 blah. and i was like all right like sure and then like deep deep diving in, into that anyway game funds you have to make a company to have the game so i had to start the company to have the game and um and then you make one game and you make another game and i mean it has been five years so um but but yeah i mean that's sort of that's sort of that story i don't know this is sort of a long podcast but hopefully it's interesting to people who, who are listening still 
I hope so. <laughs> no, I think so. I think it's interesting to me, and we do this podcast for us. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, well, so you kind you kind of hinted at it while you were talking about it, but can you just kind of give us? You don't have to go crazy deep, but like when you're sitting down to design a game, I know you talked about like playing other games and and think that's maybe you're brainstorming then. But what's your design process um, as it happens? You know, it's a good question, and um, I I think that, for me at least, um, the, the design process really stems from inspiration. And for me, I sometimes I'm inspired by art, or I'm inspired by the opportunity to work with specific people, or I'm inspired by a mechanic or an idea. Um, and so, you know, for... Liftoff, uh, it was really a situation where I was inspired by the idea. Uh, I, I, I knew I, wa- I, I was driven to make a game, and then I was inspired by mechanics in other games and thinking through what, like, what I would like mechanically. Um, and I, I really like um, what I consider dynamic tactics, which is um, the, like, I like a game where um, there's strategy, but really like what you're going to do on your turn is impacted by previous turns. So every turn you sort of like have to think about it critically in your moment, not just like have your plan laid out and you're like playing independently from each other. Like I like, I like that because sort of plays to like what I'm good at when I play games. And, um, but so that was really mechanic driven. And then the siblings trouble, which was um, the second game was um, um, a game where I wanted like, I don't know, had, it was a resurgence of tabletop Dungeons and Dragons type playing, but like I wanted a faster experience and I was like nostalgia. And I, so like that was like, I wanted to make a game that you could, uh, uh, like a, a, a story. I, I wanted to make a storytelling game that like felt like you were going on an adventures and felt like Goonies and that kind of 80s throwback, but didn't require you to learn how to play Dungeons and Dragons and didn't require DM and didn't like I just wanted to be able to I wanted to be able to tell stories and but like not just like there are a lot of games where you're like creating stories for like jokes or like I wanted something a little bit more substantive that like you went on an adventure but wasn't something that required the heavy learning and wasn't too lightweight and anyway so um, that was really driven from that desire. Herbaceous is a great example of a game where Beth Sobel on the internet had posted these herb pictures because she had uh, done an herb re-art, uh, re-theming or whatever you call it, uh, reskin of Bonanza, um, which is a really simple game. And I saw the art and I was just like, somebody needs to make some game with that art that's like really pleasurable and lightweight and and for like grandma's having tea. And I, I reached out to her and I was like, well, are you doing anything with that? And she was like, well... Um, it's this reskin I'm in, but like a new game. And she was like, Oh no, I just did this for fun. And I was like, if I made a game, I, pencil first existed there. So it wasn't totally, yeah. but I was like, if I did a game, could I, could we, could I use that art? And she was like, you mean art like this art? I was like, no, that art <laughs> plus seven <laughs> additional pieces. Yeah. And then I wanted to originally with herbaceous, um, I just wanted to make solitaire. I wanted to make, use that art and just make a hundred percent solitaire light game. Uh, which I found out that as a designer, like I just don't, I, I, I suck at. Um, and, and Seth Johnson actually gave me this book, which was like 500 different solitaire games. It's like 300 pages, all text. And I was like, I don't want to do this at all. But at the time, 
and we haven't talked about gaming with Edo, which is fine. But like at the time, I was getting more close to Steve Finn online uh, yeah. through his products, and I was just like, "Hey, Steve, like you ever design a solo game?" He's like, "Nope." I was like, "All right." He's like, "Why do you ask?" And I'm like, "Well, I have this art." And he's like, "I think I could make a two-player, multiplayer game out of that." And this is incredible, though, because like between you know, I've worked on games that have got like this is that like what makes a hit and not a hit. Like herbaceous was like art online. Steve having a first pass design like 10 days later that was like 90% the design today to a Kickstarter like a month later. And it's one of Pencil First Games' most successful games. And so, you know, Liftoff could have been five years in the making or four years in the making, you know, uh, never got a reprint. Uh, (laughs) And then you get this game in three months. Um, But, um, and then like the interesting follow-up story even there was I was at Gen Con at uh, whatever that um, first exposure play hall and was talking to Keith Mateka. I don't remember why, but he was already there. And at the time, like he was like, oh, that's, I, I was showing herbaceous and he was talking about it. And he had a solo design in some of this game. I don't remember the conversation, but basically I was lamenting the story. I was like, I'd really wanted this to be a solo game, but it, I couldn't do it. And so now it's a multiplayer game, but that's cool. And he was like, well, I, I've done some solo designs. Like, maybe I could do it. And I was like, you want to do it? He's like, yeah, I'll do it. So we figured that out. And so Keith then did the solo design on Herbaceous. Because Steve was like, I don't want any part of this. And it, it, he, ended up, <laughs> he ended up playing it. But, uh, and it was like an, the, the solo single player is like an homage to Biblios, which is Steve's game. Anyway, it's all complicated. But so then it had the single player uh, version in, in Herbaceous as well. And some... Uh, I don't know if it's a, I'd have to look, I don't remember if it's a guy or a girl, but somebody just posted online that they like had officially completed their 1,000th play of Herbaceous Solo. Wow. And and like, to me, it's like, holy, like I haven't even played it a thousand times. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But anyway, and then I went on to work with. We lost your audio there, Edo. The long and the short is in the question of what inspires you to design. It's really like I love making things and all sorts of different things are fun and interesting to make. Like I'm not just a guy who just sits around and is like designing things on paper. I'm not a game designer. Like I, I do game design. I, I sort of like considered myself a game maker, but it's because like I generally speaking, especially when you're working on a big hundred person mobile game or, or, or whatever, like when you're working on big projects or even small, like ultimately there's always somebody better than you. Or at least I feel that way. It might not be true for, for you guys. But like for me, like there's always there's always gonna be somebody who's a better designer, a better artist, a better engineer. Like sometimes with design or writing, people struggle with that idea. But if I was like, Do you think there's a better aerospace engineer than you? Like the answer is yes. Like, is there a better doctor than you? Probably. So like I work with specialists. So for me, <laughs> I'm always happy to do work and engage, but like if there's a part in a product where it would be better if this other person who's better at X skill set did it and that person's like interested and engaged and willing it's like bring them in and have them do it on the board game scene it's changing with kickstarter it's changing with all these indie games but traditionally it's like a designer works on a piece of paper comes up with a game pitches it to the publisher publisher says yes we'll take it then like says goodbye designer then they hire some artists to do it and then they have an equivalent of a developer who, who moves it together but it's a very um separated experience not always but often um kickstarter has really made the independent sort of project-based game making much more of a thing on for board games yeah yeah for sure 
So, so you, you're doing great at setting me up for the next questions. Perfect segues. <clears throat> so I, I had, I had the fortune, uh, the fortune. I was fortunate enough to spend some time with Steve um, at PAX Unplugged the first year, and we, you know, we met up at a gaming night before the con, and I got to play a bunch of his prototypes. And he's just like a super nice guy, and it was really nice to see um, all the work he's done. Uh, so can you talk, to, I know you talked about it a little bit, but how did you guys get involved with Steve? Was it from Herbaceous and, and how did that, uh, relationship, uh, bloom? Uh, sorry. Yeah, yeah, it. no, it, 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 it's very, it's very different. And by the way, the guy's like, used to be a national ultimate Frisbee star. He's like a, 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 a philosophy or, or, um, psychology. I think he's a philosophy professor, um, and like, so he's a super interesting guy and he's yeah. a, if you've, if you've seen my interview with him and if you, he is like one of the original indie board game makers pre Kickstarter yeah. dude was making games on like keep keeping them in like cassette VHS boxes or beta boxes or whatever. Like he had a printing press in his garage. Like, like anytime <laughs> you're like, I'm indie. It's like, no, you're not. Steve's indie. <laughs> you're, you're not indie. You have Kickstarter and the internet. This guy was doing it from the from his, you know. Anyway, um, he was made in America. He still but does so, that. He still carries around a briefcase with little boxes of his full prototype yeah, games sure. in them. <laughs> so it was really. Uh, so what happened? What happened was, uh, as I was launching Liftoff, I had to go zero to a hundred in terms of learning how to be on social media, engaging with people and did all this effort to try to get followers to fund the campaign. And it was a long fought, fought hard campaign that didn't fund until the last five or so days. Um, and it, it was a month long. And it was just like, after that, I was like, I want to do something that, because like, I, I didn't have like another game ready. It was like, the next game is going to come out in a year, two years or whatever it is. How am I going to engage and participate in this community? If, um, I don't have any games. And so at the time I had started doing a bunch of video work for the Kickstarter through the Kickstarter, uh, like, you know, updates and, and, and I, I, I did a bunch of the video content. Um, and that sort of gave me like some sort of awareness and skill sets with YouTube and stuff. And I was like, well, what if I did like, you know, I mean, video game reviews, uh, and I could start doing, you know, uh, not video games, excuse me, board game reviews and, and, support the internet and I was doing Kickstarter reviews for free and a few other things. And so I started doing that and I ended up reviewing Biblios. And at the time, Biblios for anyone who hasn't played is freaking fantastic. Um, but it's a bunch of monks. And like, I just was like, why, why monks? Like none of this thematically makes any sense. And like, this is just not, like who wants to like aspire to become a monk and like I just and anyway through a combination of like like I'm no longer like an in reviewer like you you like the the the, the board game community if you're like a small reviewer you usually like will grab onto somebody and like really enjoy the content and like all the content creators will sort of blast it forward and then like you grow and you hit a certain size and they're like well, we don't they don't need any support anymore and then yeah. they're like but 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 so that was during the time when I had a lot of goodwill through liftoff and kickstarter and all that stuff and so like it got a ton of shares and at the time steve was like hey i i your kickstarter review of biblios has like more shares and likes and whatever than anything i've ever pu published and by the way i have my kickstarter for biblios dice 
um, I think it was Biblios Dice, uh, coming to Kickstarter in a month or two months, would you do a Kickstarter preview? I think actually that was the first Kickstarter preview I did. And I was like, yeah, whatever, sure. Uh, so I did the preview. Subsequently, I did um, many, many previews uh, for him. And we just got to know each other. One of the coolest things about uh, indie board game Kickstarter is like in video games, a lot of times it's very difficult. Like the game industry is much, the video game industry is a lot more cutthroat and like independent game developers do come together for like cons and stuff, but in many ways are like all competing over the same eyes and the same dollars in a way that's a little bit different than board games. So it's just like people are much more close to chest in terms of what they don't share as much in certain ways. And that's not universally true, right? But like just generally, I felt like there's a little bit warmer welcome in the board game space. But setting that aside, but like what, what ended up happening is making video games my entire career, there aren't like that many people who are like, peers to me in what they do where like I'm able to have like open and regular conversations with them as peers like occasionally but what I found is in the like indie board game kickstarter creator zone you have many folks that are like very like have their own company have run a couple kickstarters and so like like that's a uh um Keith Mateka is an example of that. Steve Finn's an example of that. Uh, Peter Vaughn's an example of that. And then he did with Breaking Games. Um, James Hudson's an example of that. Jamie Stegmeier, though he was always the biggest, is an example of that. Like, and I could name like five more. Gavin, like, there's like it's a whole bunch of them. And so, what ultimately happens is, I, we would all have lots of conversations. Like, oh, like, what are you doing with stretch goals? Are you still doing stretch goals? And what's your one dollar pledge? And like, James, James uh, Matthew was also a big uh, cornerstone of all this. And so. It, uh, more than just reviewing games and engaging, we just always had connection points around launching and running campaigns and things like that. So I developed a friendship with Steve, um, and from there, uh, I, you know, he was on my shortlist of guys when I was like, who might be able to help with this herbaceous thing? Yeah. And Steve's an incredible designer also because he's like a, a lot of designers like get 80% of their way and then like they tear their game down to 20% and then get 80 Steve's just sort of like he'll do it once and then he'll tweak it and he's very he's very confident and clear in his decisions and he's just not a he's not a wishy-washy designer like he'll he he has like a very strong sense of like where his designs are and and you don't see that as much I think with designers. Nice. So just so we can fit in some questions about your games, I'm gonna ask <laughs> you one more question and then I know Kyle has a specific question he wants to ask you. Um, but continuing in the perfect segue category, can you talk to us about your YouTube channel, uh, what you do and, and why you started, uh, your YouTube channel? Yeah. So I think we covered the start. It was literally, what can I do that is like, uh, you oftentimes at Disney, sometimes you call like withdrawals and brand withdrawals and brand deposits, right? Like this idea that like sometimes you're, you're taking value and sometimes you're adding value. And so when you run a Kickstarter, in many ways, you're taking value. Eventually you'll add it, but you're like basically like, hey, everyone, give me your value. And, you know, you can't do that every day. You like want to add. You don't always want to take, right? right? Or you're that guy. And, <laughs> um, and so, so to me, it was like, how can I contribute? And, 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 and through that, um, I started the reviews, the Kickstarter previews. Once I was doing Kickstarter previews at the time, I, I was, it like hadn't become the business that it is today where everyone's charging money and it's $600 for a preview and blah, 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 blah. But, and, and I still had some um, traffic uh, enough that like 
people were getting my 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 um my Kickstarter previews and stuff like that. And through conventions and stuff, I connected with the League of Game Makers, and eventually, at some point, I started doing my League of Game Maker videos, which are like Kickstarter best practices and industry stuff. I actually talk a lot about my career and different things at, at different in different videos. Um, and along the way, one thing that I discovered more than even more than like wanting to make deposits, what I discovered was that um, I guess I discovered a couple things. One. Making a video for YouTube for a game review or like an industry thing, I don't need anybody. I like my yeah, like you gotta understand my like entire career and game making all requires people, whether they're engineers or artists or designers or whatever, like like I have to get a group of people together to do something and I gotta deal with personalities and I gotta deal with timelines and I gotta deal with people that are flaky and like it's all about dealing and managing with people. Many people who I love, right, and enjoy and, like, get huge satisfaction from. <laughs> but there's a lot of it that's just, like, that's, like, a product lead, product manager, producer. Like, my job is just, like, herding cats or corralling, whatever. Like, all that stuff, right? And um, so I found with videos, it's like, oh, wait a minute. Like, I put a camera on. I do my thing. I can do it whenever I want. I don't have to explain it to anyone. I don't have to, like, make a, a, a sp spreadsheet or a Jira ticket. Like, I just turn the thing on say what I want to say, and, and that's it. And I found that to be, like, very satisfying for me. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, um, and so that was, like, a personal satisfaction I got from it. And the other thing I learned was when, if you're a game creator or designer, everyone, when you talk to them, if they're a publisher or some other group, like, assumes you want something from them. Like, right. you want them to publish your game. You want them to promote your game. You want them to do this. But when you're a reviewer and a content creator... People love talking to you. Like, they want you. And so what it enabled me to do is it allowed me to establish and connect with a lot of folks who would otherwise maybe be unresponsive if I was just trying to push designs at them. Um, so I had a lot of Q&As and other things that were really great. So it gave me an additional access channel where I wasn't just somebody saying, hey, I've got this game, can you promote it? Hey, I've got this game, can you consider it? Hey, I've got this game, can you play it? It was like, what are you doing? Right. Let me learn about your stuff. I can talk about your stuff for you. And then along the way, you get to know people. And then maybe some other point, you're like, oh, I need some advice, or I really wish somebody could do this, or or whatever. And then and then you get some benefit nice. there, too. So in a lot of industries, and I'm a big fan of food, which I, I probably something you don't, wouldn't know, but I'm a huge foodie. I really enjoy food. And I listen to uh, David Chang, who does a podcast about food, but other things and how they interact. And he does a big thing about criticism. And he talks a lot about how... You know, critics don't always understand the vision of, you know, artists in many, many forms uh, and in many industries. But in board games, it seems there's a lot more crossover between critics and reviewers and game designers than there is in almost any other industry that oftentimes people who review games also create games. Why do you think that is so different in board games where there isn't this pretty significant divide between the two? And to build off that, why do you hate Onitama? <laughs> <laughs> I think it's like the only game I gave like a two on BGG. Um, <laughs> so, so um, uh, that was a pretty complex and dense question you asked. One, I think some of that is recently true. I think mm -hmm. if you back up and you um, go 10 years ago, 15, 20 years ago, I don't think there was as much of an overlap between 
game designers and game critics. I think game designers did their thing, game critics did their thing, and you know maybe Tom Vassell Vasso launched a game once, but there, I, I don't think it was as much of what you see today. I think mm-hmm. part of it is that the modern game maker has sidestepped the traditional publishing process and is a tribal crowdfunder and through that much more active and aware of a lot of the dynamics I've talked about on this call. So they, there's a, there's an importance to having a presence and to getting to know people and subscribers and newsletters and things like that. I do think that, um, in many, I mean, I would, I, I guess I would suspect that, and I, I haven't listened to the podcast you mentioned, but I would suspect that any chef who makes food is a huge food critic, right? Because like they have to have an amazing t- palate. They're probably trying lots of dishes and they're probably thinking critically, like, what do they do with that seasoning? How do they cook it? How can I steal it? Right? Like, what can I do with all these things to like <laughs> make my next dish big, better? And I think you would have said, but that doesn't mean they work for the New York Times sitting in a room going around testing other places. Also, I would probably say a difference I would mention is like game design is almost inherently not a full-time job for anybody. Like you can't make money game designing basically. It's like almost exclusively a hobby. Whereas being a chef isn't. Like being a chef is a 90-hour week job. So your ability to like sit around and like critique and like write reviews is like not possible as a chef. I mean Anthony Bourdain can, you know, did it, right? But like, um, whereas I think designing games is like something that probably takes a little amount of time and then a huge amount of weight. Um, and in that time, they might be doing it. And, but then the last thing I'd say is if you look at the food industry now, more and more of these chefs are on podcasts and doing things and doing videos, right? So I think that, that, that yeah. dynamic is shifting as well. Um, so I, I think it's you inherent, like I always emphasize like, to make games, you got to play games, right? Like you should know what is out there, what your competition is, what they're doing, be inspired. Um, and I, I would probably say the same to people who like food to eat it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Josh, you want to take over here from here? We're always horrible because we get into these like awesome conversations with guests. And then we're like, hey, we really need to talk about your games because that's important. We want you to be able to no, talk about fun, them. You know, so I mean, Josh, again, you, I get, you know. <laughs> if, 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 if people enjoy the chat, I'm always happy to, I'm always, I'm a good talker. Um, so what, what are the next questions? So we're going to move on. We were going to talk about Herbaceous. I think we, we got a, we got a pretty good backstory on Herbaceous uh, or Herbaceous. Um, before we talk about Skullcallow, I do want to uh, make sure we properly thank you for sending Kyle a copy of Skullcallow. Um, and after sure. his glowing review, I ended up getting myself a copy as well. Um, and we enjoy that very much before we get into, um, well, a little bit more, we wanted to ask our listener question first. Uh, uh, so our, our super listener, uh, I don't know if you saw this interaction uh, on Twitter, uh, at Topalicious, uh, he, he says, I'd like to hear about the Kickstarter journey of Skullcallo. Also, Kickstarter is a great way to allow smaller guys to get their games out. Don't tell Seam on that. Uh, but as, as someone from a smaller group, do you feel it's unfair when large established companies launch a guaranteed multi-million project in terms of media, hype, funds, etc.? And then we have 
another ellipses, and it says, I literally just lost my track of thought, just woke up from surgery. So I'm extremely flattered that uh, one of our listeners' <laughs> first thought after surgery was, I got a tweet uh, bored with video games to get a question in to add. Um, sure. But if you can parse uh, out what I just said to you in that long <laughs> Yeah, paragraph. well, I mean, if, if you wanted to talk about Skull Hollow, we could go into it backwards. So let me... Does so, um, to the things that I said previously, hmm. like I've sort of moved past the complaining about market dynamics and being salty about people doing better than you, or like it's a real thing and a lot of people deal with it. But for me, it's sort of like, why don't we just all be happy for each other's success? Yeah. Um, in terms of and 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 that's not necessarily a CMON conversation. That's more like a a conversation about um, um, other small indies that blow up and have monster success and suck the wind out of uh, out of the group or whatever, but on the uh, on the Simon side of things or these big groups, it's like you know uh, they're leveraging the platform and taking advantage of the dynamic right now, and um, you know it, it it is what it is. You can look at and say they're drawing a lot of people into uh, the market. Uh, at the same time, if you're running against one of those day and day, they're absolutely sucking money out yeah. of the market. <laughs> um, so like, I think it's a real thing. I think people are right to have feelings about it. It doesn't really bother me. Uh, it's the same. I mean, like I can't, I mean, one isn't popping off my head, but I've launched video games where like, Oh, I didn't realize Epic was launching the same game, but with this thing on the same day, like, Oh, that's great. Um, you know, and so like the, the, you know, I think that's, it's sort of inherent to being, to like, I feel like there's like a small, there are small, like in that, maybe the second question, they're the people who are legit first time Kickstarter creators. And they're like, and not even like people who have been making things and like are industry folks that are now doing it on Kickstarter, but like the people who put up games that like unfortunately a lot of people in the community make fun of or like three pictures or no reviewers or like like clearly this dude or this kid or this family like made their little thing and they're trying to like put it on kickstarter and they have those hopes and dreams right and so those people getting salty and and, and upset about it like i feel a little bit you know like they're clearly like actually still like it's literally their dream to make this game and yeah. like they've never done anything like this i feel like as you're even small but more established and you've been around the you know the 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 bush and you've seen all this stuff like i think that um you know it just sort of comes with the territory of being able to crowdfund a game on an internet site and get enough money to make it and publish it and get it to people's hands which is like used to be impossible yeah. um but yeah i mean like it's real but it, and it and it can be hard for new. It's it's absolutely harder and harder to be competitive on Kickstarter. Um, there's still plenty of people who are successful and winners and losers. But like it's not, you know, it it it, it, it there's more success. It's like mobile games, right? Like on one hand, there are bigger winners and more money being spent on mobile. It's just like an upwards trend. On the other, that's by a smaller and smaller percentage. And for every day there's a hit, there's literally ten thousand other games released that day that no one ever heard of or no one ever spends any time with and like you know you know that's just sort of how it goes and i think you're going to see that on kickstarter and you have been seeing it for some sure. time sure sure so let's get into 
The skulk, where did, so, what were your inspirations? How did you come about uh, with the mechanics? I mean, just can, sure. you, can you dish uh, Skulk Hollow yeah, for yeah. us? Yeah, <laughs> and, and, and it's another good example of, like, you know, where it comes from. So, at some point, um, I was doing, uh, my kid was in third or fourth grade, and they had some, like, after-school program where uh, a couple times I went in and, like, taught, like, beginner game design, and I was, like, coming in with a bunch of meatballs. And after one of them, my son Ethan had a game. He's like, hey, Dad, I want to tell you about this game, all right? It's like you're playing baseball, but, you know, everyone's playing their own player, so you got to, like, play with 13 players. And I was like, you know, I don't know if you're going to be able to get a game and play with 13 players. And he's like, well, what if... What if you were a bunch of little guys fighting a big monster and it was like 12 players on one and one was the monster? And I was like, yeah, that's cool. But again, I'm not, I don't know about this 13 player thing. What if one player controlled the group and the other player controlled the one monster? And it was like many versus one. And he's like, that's totally not my game. And I'm like, I'm not, <laughs> I'm like, I'm just saying, like, there might be, and like, we sort of um, set it aside, but I've actually, I, I've always really enjoyed like big versus small. Like I'm a huge Shadow of the Colossus fan and like, I really like that dynamic and I like war games, but I'm also much more of a casual faster play. And I was thinking about it and I was, and, and I also love uh, Lord of the Rings, confronta the confrontation by Canincia, uh, which is that diamond board. And it was, you know, and he sees me, like a lot of the board game stuff is me on my computer in the evenings or on the weekend because I have a full-time job. And so he'll see me talking to people. And I think he's more inspired about being like a game producer more than a game designer. But he was like, hey, can we make it a game? And, and, and we were at my uh, wife's parents' house for the holidays. And I was like, again, we would have nothing to do. I was like, sure, let's do this. And then like, you know, he didn't really, like, it just was me basically. But like, <laughs> um he'd come over and look, but basically it was sort of like, so how am I going to get this? Like, I want to have a small board and it'd be really cool if there was like, it was very much not the product, but the, the, the aesthetic experience that like thematic and aesthetic, I was like, oh, I want a big thing and little things. And, but then like, how can we make it? So then like you can jump onto the big thing, but okay. What if that was this other board and like I had this big monster board and you could like jump here and then you were like with disabled abilities and his arm. So it was very much like that sort of what the thematic experience should be as you played it. And I had the board. I had the, like I made the diamond board. I decided on the size. I had Grack who was, uh, who turned, he was Clonk who turned into Grack. Um, and and I, somewhere, if you go to the Kickstarter page or somewhere, you can like see my drawings of these guys. And then um, I was like, and I know I like want a deck of cards because I don't want this to be a dice. I, I want this to be a fast and easy game, head to head, twenty minutes. Like the not the box, but the like product experience was crystal clear to me. And then like, and then I was like struggling like making the game any fun. Like then I hit the mechanical design of the actual mechanics. And like, it just wasn't like coming together quickly. And then I was like, hmm. And then, you know, at that time I'd worked with other people. I'm like, well, maybe I can find a designer <laughs> to actually design this game. And at, at first I was talking to the first person. I think I talked to Steve maybe. And Steve was like, 
I don't do head-to-head games or something like I'm not really a two-player game mechanic. Or maybe at the time I was already working on him with two things, and I was like, I don't want to bug Steve. And then I actually spoke with um, um, what the, what's that guy's name? The um, guy who does Tiny Epic. Uh, 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 what's oh. that designer's name? Shoot, um, not Scott Caputo because that it's um, Scott Alms. Yeah, um, and I actually had some conversation with him. But like my model's a little different in that like he he does his designs and he keeps his design. Like I don't know exactly how he does his business model model, but mine was like no, like I'm not. This is more like the video game thing. It's like I had this idea for a game. What I'm looking for is to partner with a designer, but like it's still sort of my game. Um, not I'm looking for your design and then I'm gonna, you know, this is like who wants to? You, would you want to work with me? And I actually find Dustin, who's an amazing artist, who I, I worked with at Disney. Um, and he worked on Heroes and Tricks with me, and I had already—he was already starting to fool around with the idea. Um, and so then I had done a bunch of stuff with Keith. I mentioned it to him. Keith's his own designer; he's super busy. But like, I pitched him the idea. I sent him the stuff. He started messing with it, uh, and and then really, you know, I think Keith nailed it. Right? Like, he took the thematic idea and concept of like what I really wanted to have made, and it's a hundred percent like. You know, I played it and I gave him feedback and we went back and forth, but it's his design. Like, that's where, like, when you look at the mechanical, like, how the cards work, the, he did the dual action cards to solve certain problems and, like, summoning versus this. Like, he really worked it all out, made all the guardians. I did not, I wasn't the designer in that regard at all. Um, and uh, I think he just did this fantastic job. Um, and then he also, at the time, Dustin. He pushed really hard to make the game, like if, if 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 Thunderworks Games had published it, and Keith had made it on his own, it would have looked like role player. It would have been full fantasy, dark, and like that's just not the game I wanted to make. I wanted to make a game that was brighter, funner, livelier, more cartoony, more like in the kind of games I make at Pencil First Games. But I also was like, part of it was like, no, I made this game like my son too. Like I, I want that sort, of, and and I like that aesthetic anyway. But Dustin's early stuff. Like people reference Robin Hood, um, uh, the Disney thing when they when they talk about the foxes and Dustin's stuff is very um, has that Disney vibe to it. Um, but the Guardians were big monsters, but cuter big monsters. Like they just weren't menacing monsters. And like Keith was just like a real like just every time he'd be like I don't know man this seems so cartoony and right like and, and at that point he was really the designer so some of me is like. I know like what I'm comfortable with, but like at the end, I want to make a game we all walk away from where we all think it's, you know, it's, it's great. And so like I kept pushing back on Dustin. And so like, I mean, he, Dustin can do a lot of things. So like Dustin went like cr- darker and darker on the, so he went like from Robin Hood to like Secret of Nim, right? Like, like he moved it to this like darker, more menacing place. And I think we found this visual space that feels mean aggressive and cool but also not just high fantasy illustration darker type of thing um and 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 where foxes are taking down this monster and and and, you know beating them up but it doesn't so it really um it was a great collaboration and 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 a ton of fun nice yeah you took the words out of my mouth you guys you guys nailed it with this one it really um at least for our perspective as gamers, uh, first, I think like Shadow of the Colossus was definitely something that we could see as potential inspiration. And I, and I really got the feel 
speaking for myself and probably Kyle, that that's what we were doing. And it is like, I do enjoy the art. It did remind me like, I could talk to you about legendary creatures for an hour, so I won't, I won't do that, but it definitely art style and art, like idea wise, I could definitely, and when you were talking about it, I can only imagine what your input was for the art on legendary creatures, but um, uh, I really, yeah, really just thoroughly enjoy the game. And and I think uh, it's a game that you really need to play both sides of to fully appreciate because you can't fully appreciate how difficult it is to, uh, you know, handle both sides of, of that <laughs> sure. game. Um, but yeah, I, re- I, I really enjoyed that uh, very much. Awesome. And, I, and, I, and I think people do it. It's fast enough that you can flip it around and, and, yeah. and, and play it. Uh, you mentioned legendary creatures. Uh, we don't have to go into that because it's its own thing, but interesting callback to earlier in the conversation, the legendary creatures is a good example of a game that presents itself in a certain way, feels a little bit more welcoming, brighter, colorful, yeah. but from a gameplay mechanic <laughs> standpoint, is he- a heavy-duty game. There's a lot going uh, on, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and ultimately, that was one of the things that undercut it uh, in the market. But, I mean, that's a whole other story with Chris Hammond. I think he did a great... I'm very proud of that design. It just it was a mismatch to the product but um, in terms of the marketplace. But it, it, uh, but it is that sort of sometimes... Finding success is really that perfection of making something great, but then also understanding the audience and how to market that product to the right people. Um, and and I think uh, Legendary Creatures struggle, struggled a little bit. I there. still think it's a game that everyone should play. I still stick by that. <laughs> All right, Kyle, why don't you round, round it up? Yeah. Yeah, so we definitely want to give you the opportunity to talk about kind of what's coming up, what's next for Pencil First, and just, you know, everything gaming-wise. And just to kind of build off that, the one question first I have, if you wouldn't mind answering, and then kind of going into talking about whatever you want to for what's next. Um, Obviously, we've heard, you know, Mall Peak has been announced. Uh, Why go with a, you know, standalone expansion rather than just, you know, Skull Hollow seems like the perfect game to, like, you know, release a deck of new creatures here, a deck of new creatures here. Here's one big new monster. Here's one big new monster. Why go through the full quote unquote big box standalone um, expansion rather than doing those individual ones? And then if you want to talk about everything that's coming up and things we should keep our eye out for. You know, that's a great question. Um, And I think in other times and other ways, perhaps would have taken it differently. And I think, there was an opportunity to take it differently. I mean, I, I think there's a couple different factors. Um, one factor was just in like delivering the, the product at the level of execution we did. Um, and I mean, in terms of the product production, the box, the insert, the container, like one, there's no room in that box. Um, I, yeah, that insert yeah. is great, by the way. Right. That insert is really, really good. Really, like it's a self-contained experience, and to do anything would have had to have been a, a separate container. So it was always going to be an expansion or something. Um, so it would have, you know, it's not just like a, you know, throw a, a, another little guardian in the box. I mean, I guess I could have done it with the insert. So there was that piece of it. Um, the other piece of it, to some degree, too, has to do with you know, kickstart, like I, I, you know, we pencil first games is, has continued to sustain itself um, and allows uh, me to group with people and make new games, but it's not, it's not in a position where it can like publish games without kickstarters, right? Like, it's not like 
sitting on so much cash that it's going to be like, oh, no, let's just go direct to retail with XYZ. And so, you know, then you start looking at like, well, what you, you when you start thinking about what comes next for a game like Skull Call or Series, you're actually saying, what's the next thing we're going to launch on Kickstarter? Um, and but at the same time, when we were thinking about it, it was actually always the in my mind's eye, the idea that like you would have like this biome, these creatures, these things, and then we'd want to do something that was like a different biome and not Foxen, but another race and a different set of guardians. And it does, it's not conducive to the design in order to like, you're more bound, like you would really just be adding another guardian. Right. And like, if, if I'm just going to add one more guardian, and it doesn't fit in the box, then it's just anyway. So like that's sort of how we went that way. Now, <clears throat> because a lot of different feedback, the the big thing is Mall Peak is fully interchangeable with Skullcaller. So other than it ha making people wait longer, I guess what they will get when they get it is a game where you will be able to take any of the new guardians and play them with Foxen on the Foxen board, or, or take the, uh, 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 the, the, the bear clan and play the bears or any of the old guardians. And we also, one of the big things, like we were, I was adamant, I was adamant that it was a two-player game. Like, that was the point. The point was one versus many. It wasn't like, that's the type of game, confrontations, the ability to like have a knockout win, like very, very specific. And it's a it's a very high production, expensive two player game, right? Like it's not a huge market for these things, um, and so you know one of the things that doing it this way allows us to do is at least and everyone on the campaign, you know, when you do a Kickstarter, everyone's like, hey, why doesn't it support three or four players? Like you could just totally make it support four players, or why doesn't it play every single player <laughs> mode? And it's like because it was meant to be a two player game. But um, what we you know what we do with Mall Peak is we allow you to have and it's you know. It's, I wouldn't call it, I mean, it's really just a brawl fest with two guardians and two clan, you know, two sets of uh, heroes, but be able to support more players, um, which is fun. Um, and, and like Keith runs his own company. He runs his own thing. Um, Dustin's a busy guy. Like it's a little harder. Like, I think, you know, a good example. What's a really good example. It's like Roxley games, dice throne. You know, you had the Dice Throne guys. Those two guys, Manny and Nate, did an amazing job, even before they got acquired or whatever the deal was, um, where, like, they were like, we're going to make Dice Throne, and we are going to be Dice Throne, and we are going to then take Dice Throne and make more Dice Throne, and we're going to have a convention, and we are going to, like, turn Dice Throne into Magic the Gathering. And, like, they, that was, like, and, and, and Manny's like, I'm just going to keep drawing amazing art. Yeah. <laughs> and, 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 and it was really Nate who was, like, business, 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 as, as from, my, from my experience. But together they did it. Um, and they really pushed it and they thought of it. And then like, it was very, I, I took a lot of inspiration from some of those games in terms of how fun it is to like the whole experience of like, I'm going to play as Grack and I want to pull out Grack from the box was really inspired a lot from, from, from Dice Throne and those types of games. Um, but they, they like were on that plan from the get beginning and they're running tournaments at conventions and like they nailed it. And like, uh, that, I, not, jealous isn't the right word, but I was inspired watching that. And thinking about that, um, but at the same time, it falls into like, I have a full-time job. That's a level of commitment that's actually like a higher, you really got to do it. And like even, there's always even a little bit of a, a tension between Keith and I, 
because um, Keith has Thunderworks Games, and he's all in. He quit his job. He is full-time, and he's able to, and he lives in Wisconsin. I live in California, like, you know. Uh, he is able to, you know, really be all in. He goes to conventions. He's built a convention team. He has, like, eight people that are running, but da 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 And, like... He's like, here's my schedule of the 70 different events I'm doing at Gen Con. What are you doing? And I'm like, I got six hours of Skullcala. Like, the, <laughs> like, and, uh, and so, so long story short, there is just some of it's a little bit of like, my stuff is much more slow burn. It's much more like, oh, yeah, Keith's working on this. He's got a thousand other things. He'll get something done as he goes. And Dustin will make some progress. And at some point, we'll get it done. Um, so anyway, like, but there was a world. There is a version of this game that could have been the one you described and <laughs> you know it's for another dimension i think <laughs> <laughs> so what do we have to look forward to from pencil first this year because mall peak is 2021 is the plan right yes so what do you have to look forward to this year well uh the 100 tory which yeah. is a flipping fantastic game by scott caputo uh, opportunity to work with vincent to which is like a dream for me because he's such an amazing artist um, which is its own story we'll skip, but went into distribution and was launching to retail 3.31 on Tuesday. Uh, turns out, though, that a bunch of warehouses are closed and no one's able to ship any products. Um, so uh, I don't know. It's super, I'm super, uh, like, bummed about it because, like, basically what happens is there's all these games on hold now, and you... Um, at some point, which is not tomorrow, which is not in a week, which is not in two weeks, in one to two months, everything's going to come back online. But then there's going to be a hundred titles that all got launched at once. Yeah. And I, I don't have the ability. So the 100 Tory is going to exist and I think it's worth your time. But, you know, uh, I will note it is available at uh, shop.pencilfirstgames.com. It's not, you know, it's, 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 uh, uh, you know, it's not at a discount, but it is available. If you're willing to pay for shipping, it, it, it you can get it. But otherwise, that game is coming out whenever this thing blows over. Um, and then I, I did a, a liftoff reprint solo mode expansion for the original game. It's the deluxe expanded deluxe edition. That'll hit retail, you know, October, September, October. And then, um, so those are like in stores. Like you'll be able to buy it if you weren't on the Kickstarter side of things. <clears throat> and then for um kickstarter have some things uh we have the whatnot cabinet which is the next game from steve finn beth sobel myself with single player designed by keith uh, keith mateka probably uh the last title we're going to be doing is that uh group of people but we'll see uh, it's ready to go but on hold until after the stuff blows over but that kickstarter will come some point may june ish maybe um then after that uh we'll have a very small kickstarter for herbaceous pocket which is herbaceous Ooh. but like mini cards like mini euro cards um and i don't know if that'll go to retail or not it's, it's sort of like something i thought would be cool and see if people other people that's going to be like a pretty low volume kickstarter but i'm excited about it um and then and the last thing we've been talking about is mall peak and so uh we're tracking for October-ish, I believe. Um, sort of the the two two years since the previous Kickstarter. Um, we've released a print and play for Blight, which is the Spider um, Guardian, uh, Ice Spider, 
and you can download that right now and play Skull Hollow with it. Nice. It's an expansion right there for you. You can just check it out um, and download <laughs> it. Uh, later this month, early next month, we'll release the next uh, Wrath and Fury, which is a um, a guardian that's a a, a, a guardian, but she uh, she also has a, a hound, a three three headed um, frost hound, and so like where it's the first time the guardian player has two units that are like attacking and taking things out. Uh, and then we'll continue to do these sort of printed plays because like trying to do our best is it's it's hard enough to balance this stuff, but like bears don't work anything like foxen. So getting the extra plays on foxen and feedback for people will help us catch corner cases and stuff. Um, and and that'll be late late October. So um, that's the plan. I think it's dates are questionable. You know, like everything's yeah. interesting right now. Um, <laughs> but 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 those are the things, right? And um, just excited to still be able to make these things and hopefully have an opportunity to bring them out and get them to the market. Nice. I can say I've played the prototype of the Whatnot cabinet and it's in, it's an excellent game. So I am eagerly awaiting that release. Oh, awesome. Awesome. Maybe at, at PAX or one of those. Yeah, things. we played at PAX Unplugged. He didn't have a name yet. I think he, he said he wanted to call it Curio Cabinet, but then Curio, the board game came out. So that might have <laughs> helped him change the name. I don't know at the time, but um, yeah, we played it. I packed some plugs with the with the folks from Gameosity uh, we met up and played. Oh, awesome, awesome, yeah, yeah. And actually, you know, that's um, that's pro- you probably played a pretty close to the end version. It's sort of been on not a hiatus is in the right way, but like we were just about to get copies for um, reviewers and stuff. Like we were finishing art and we had the art, and then um, basically it was going to be herbaceous size, mm. and then like it became abundantly clear. Like I- I'm pretty good at boxes. But like it just didn't fit. Like it just it just was like a brick sandwich, and then like you wouldn't ever be able to like get anything. And like even Tori, like I did a lot of jigsaw to get that together. So I was like, we got to make it uh, the herbaceous sprout size box. So yeah. then we sort of re- re- retooled it a little bit. But um, really nice combination of set collection with a little bit of a King Domino action selection feel to it. Uh, yeah. I mean, I yeah, think it's a great I really enjoyed too. it. <laughs> Well, thank you so very, very much. You've been very generous with your time tonight. We really appreciate it. I did just want to ask one final question because I noticed you did a video earlier this week uh, talking about because of the tough times and the the odd times we're in right now, uh, you're doing a bit of a game design contest. Is Is that true? true? Yeah. Tell us about that. uh, The stuck at home contest. And essentially uh, the idea was, you know, a bunch of people are stuck at home. I was thinking of that maybe this was when people were going to start doing some new designs and I sort of wanted to promote people to do that. And essentially, uh, you can see it on Gaming with Edo. You can see the YouTube channel and you can see the video you mentioned or Gaming with Edo on Facebook. You can see the little rule set. But basically, uh, online uh, competition for a print-and-play, single-player game, two-player game, four-player game, three categories – and a uh, limit of a, a page or two on rules, can't be that long, try to be about going outside or something fun and lively, not like depressing or, or, or really like this. It's pretty loose, but it has a couple requirements. <laughs> like I like it doesn't, I just don't want to like, anyway, a couple, I got, I got to play these games, but basically, oh, and you have to be willing to let other people play it because part of it is like, let's get printed plays out there for people at home. Um, but uh, I decided to do three first place prizes, one per category for 250 bucks, And then I got like five other $50 categories for like whatever game I feel like 
deserves 50 bucks. Um, and we're going to do, I'm going to have a submission form on the 15th, and then I'll probably close it out uh, the end of April. So idea is spend the next few weeks coming up with your designs. Has to be a print and play um, in whatever category. And then, you know, we'll play a bunch of games and figure out some winners. And hopefully, and the other big thing, I think, a lot of these design contests usually have like a, uh, not all of them, but some of them are like get for consideration to be published thing. I'm not really um, doing that uh, because Penance of First Games is busy, but also because it's it's much more about getting people interested than it is like, boy, I really need the next great game. Um, so everyone keeps their own thing. Like other than you putting it online and other people can see it and whatever comfort you have with that, this isn't like you're submitting for uh, a contract for a publishing deal. This is much more like you just spent some time designing things. Hopefully you can make go do a Kickstarter with it or submit it to some other publisher. Um, so it's more about inspiring than it is like trying to lock down the design. Awesome. So, dear listener, if, you, if you've ever wanted to design a game, now might be the time. So, all right. Well, we're going to go ahead. We're going to push towards wrapping things up. Obviously, we are a gaming podcast, but we want to give you one recommendation, suggestion, or thing we're currently into that is not gaming related that's helping us live that well-rounded life. And as our guest, you get the choice. You can either make a recommendation or you can listen to ours first to get some inspiration or if you need to think about it a little bit. I will listen first on this one. Okay. Josh, kick it off for us then, sir. Hey, we have the same thing, Kyle. I know. Imagine that. uh, I didn't know what to expect with this Tiger King thing on Netflix, but (laughs) it sure did seem interesting. Um, We have one episode left to finish. I will tell you some, I'll give you some life advice if this is for you or not. We did watch the first two episodes and the third and fourth episode, we'll just say where I was in the enhanced mood while I was uh, watching it. And this is not the show to be watching in any state of enhancement uh, or dehancement. Uh, this, this show is so crazy. Is I shouldn't call it a show. It's a documentary. But there was a point I didn't think it was a documentary anymore. And I started freaking out because I was like, wait, are these people just really good actors? And Netflix has tricked me to thinking that this is a real documentary because that's how crazy the story is. Take the pharmacist times 10. It's not even Mm -hmm. the pharmacist doesn't hold a candle to the the wind to this thing. Uh, I can't imagine where this final episode is going to take me but i'm not prepared <laughs> but it's definitely a must watch yeah my recommendation is also tiger king not surprising the documentary person is all about it <laughs> uh it is a long docuseries though i mean you figure each episode is pushing an hour and there's what seven episodes yeah six it's episodes, crazy so <laughs> it, it's a long time and it never really slows down so uh, yeah, it's interesting. It's got a lot of ups and downs, twists and turns. Obviously, I think this is a documentary that definitely uh, has a perspective that it's specifically trying to share. Um, I don't know how you know fully accurate everything necessarily is, but it is a ride nonetheless. Uh, so if you are holding out, not watching it just because, you know, for the I don't want to watch it because everyone else is watching it, that, that's fine. But it's definitely, I think, worth a watch uh, because there are going to be things that you will see that you never thought you'd see. <laughs> In your entire life. (laughs) So that is Tiger King on Netflix. And with us talking about that, do you have any recommendations for our listeners? uh, So I've seen the first episode of Tiger King. Okay. Um, 
<laughs> and you know was was reasonably entranced and then i was like wait how long is this and then you click on the thing and you're like there are nine episodes <laughs> yeah it's long it's very long and 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 so i don't i i don't know yet my wife was like i don't know if i want to do this um but um but but anyway so it's certainly enthralling um i guess in the in the spirit of netflix so this is absurdly vulgar like it's it's like all the way over like on vulgarity um so like it's not it's not soft at all um but if you haven't seen or like if you're an adult who has a good sense of humor and doesn't mind a lot of vulgarity and a <laughs> lot of sexual everything um big mouth on netflix oh, yeah, is amazing yeah. <laughs> um it's basically like it's a cartoon by a bunch of comedians, like full, a full three seasons of a cartoon. This isn't just like a, a short. I mean, a real cartoon. Um, that's all about like coming of age and middle school age, sort of sexual awareness and 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 drugs and other things. But like basically, but like super funny, super vulgar, and it's like this. The craziest thing about it is like every episode, you're like, you know, I'd really. I feel like this would be good for my kids to see. And then you're like, there's no, there's no way that, that they could ever be allowed to see this ever <laughs> in any way. And it, and it was really funny because it was like recommended to us. We were at like a, a fundraiser for the school event. This was like, I don't know, six months. We've been watching it. This is maybe three months ago, but there's so many episodes. Um, and it was actually our kid's Spanish teacher. Like, <laughs> Who was like, we were just talking about Netflix, what they're watching and like, whatever. And like, they're like, well, there's this one show, but I can't tell you, but I can't tell you, but I can't tell you. <laughs> and then we're watching like, oh my God. But it's, 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 anyway, again, <laughs> if you're not comfortable with that stuff, just stay away. But if you're like, oh no, I'll see what this is about. Like, it's really well done. And it like, you'll be like, it really touches on just about every conceivable like question, insecurity thing going on in, in you know, 12 to 14 to 15 year olds or whatever the kids, the, they're all, it's all animated, right? But like whatever age they are. Awesome. That is Big Mouth on Netflix. And I agree that show is, is quite excellent, but also, yeah, definitely not family friendly. <laughs> <laughs> so with that, thank you so much, Ed, for joining us tonight. We really appreciate it. Uh, where can people keep up with you on the internet? What do you want to tell them to be on the lookout for? Um, easiest place. If you're interested in YouTube content, gaming with Edo on YouTube, you know slash or to search for it uh, and then pencil first games you can check out pencilfirstgames.com or shop.pencilfirstgames.com and see what we have in our games skull hollow the 100 tory whatever um and uh yeah it's been a pleasure talking to you guys thank you sir we truly appreciate it josh what do you say we wrap the show up let's do it thanks Again, for joining us, everyone, in addition to finding us on Twitter and Instagram at Board with VG, you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Board with VG. So feel free to give us a five-star rating over there. Uh, also, if you want to communicate in the more long form uh, or you're not feeling social, just send us an email. That's at board, sorry, board with VG at gmail.com. We tag our stuff with hashtag Board with VG. So please feel free to use that hashtag. Let us know where you're gaming, especially uh, now that lots of people uh, perhaps have more gaming time. We want to see what you're playing. Uh, and whatever podcast service you're listening to us on, we encourage you to give us a stellar rating. That is whether you're downloading us from the PSVG feed, 
the Dice Tower Network feed, or our very own standalone Board with Video Games feed. You can find me on Xbox Live and PlayStation Network at Why So Serious. That's S I R R I U S. I did put my Switch code out there uh, on our Twitter. If you really want to find me, it is there. Kyle, where can people find you? So you can find me at all the usual places Twitter, Instagram, PlayStation Network, Xbox Live, Board Game Geek, all at Psychocross, C Y C O C R O S S. Thanks again to Ed for being here. We really, truly appreciate it. As always, if you have suggestions for future topics, be sure to reach out to us on the social media because we want to talk about what you want to hear about. And remember, everyone, whether it be board games or video games, never stop gaming. <laughs>